and this is the Talkative Laotian Podcast. Welcome back everyone to the Talkative Laotian Podcast. It is so nice to be back after a two-week hiatus. I know we had a lot of scheduling changes now that we are bi-weekly instead of weekly. It has been a lot more flexible with our schedules given that we are both college students, full-time college students. Um, still trying to get our degrees and everything and it's a little bit difficult to hold up that weekly schedule as we kind of hoped for in the beginning. But no worries, we still want to produce content for our listeners and for anyone who supports us despite not listening to our podcast. That is completely fine. We have blogs, we have um, Instagrams uh, where we update on different content that we want to put out towards, uh, I guess, the public in general. Unfortunately, today Ali wasn't able to make it to recording, but she did go into the discussion topic and add her input on it. I will be reading off her opinions and trying to explain it the best I can. Despite her not being here, of course, I will go over it with her afterwards and make sure that it represents her thoughts clearly um, because I don't want to put words in her mouth. And she also put what she had, like her thoughts and opinions, in a Google document, which I'll try to read off as best as possible. As you guys could probably tell from the title of this podcast, the topic is going to be of Ukraine and Russia's conflicts. The reason why we wanted to do such a heavy topic, because it is a most recent current topic that I know it does not involve Laotians directly, but I feel like us as U.S. citizens and just as humans in general, we have a responsibility to not necessarily respond, but have some sort of input and acknowledge the conflicts that are happening within Ukraine and Russia. Knowingly, most people who are listening to this podcast do not have the power most governmental officials or leaders, such as the president of the United States of America or NATO has. But as citizens, we can still offer our support and we can offer donations for certain foundations that help children within these war-torn countries um, and just help build up these countries again as best as we can as citizens and really show our support for the side that we believe. And of course, I'm going to preface that me and Ali both side with Ukraine. Um, I think it's pretty clear for most Americans that they believe Ukraine is in the right and Russia has uh, specifically Putin. Um, President Putin has broken so many uh, peace agreements and the whole situation is very, very, um, how do you say, it's it's very clear that Russia's in the wrong. Um, of course, I will go through and explain the whole conflict for our viewers and listeners just so they can get some background on why Ukraine and Russia is having conflicts in the first place. So without further ado, let me go ahead and get into the background of Ukraine and Russia. On December 1st, 1991, Ukraine officially votes for independence. As many or some may know, Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union. When the Soviet Union finally collapsed, Ukraine wanted independence from it, of course, and wanted to be its own country. This is kind of signaling its separation from Russia. It could be signaling its separation from the regime or just want to build independence and the creation of its own, um, how do you say, political agency itself. Fast forward to February 2014, really in the beginning of the year 2014, um, Ukraine had a president by the name, and I'm sorry if I butcher this, Viktor Yanukovych. Eventually, President Yanukovych was overthrown by a lot of protesters, given that uh, President Yanukovych was very friendly to Russian interests. He really sided with Russia um, a lot with just con- just Russian interests, interests in, um, in general. Given this, it is kind of prevalent that, or it is clear that a lot of Ukrainians did not agree with Russian interests. It is also known that within Ukraine's government in general, it is 
completely, um, how do you say, overtaken by a lot of Russian-Ukrainian oligarchs, um, which are kind of like these high high-level governmental leaders that really fund the government at the time. If that's a very simplistic way to address or define what oligarchs are, but that's kind of my understanding of oligarchs. Oligarchs can be known as like business leaders who kind of are like monopolistic and how do you say they they dominate within their industry uh, but with that they have a lot of power within their own political like within their country's politics basically because they have so much money uh they given that they're so rich they have major influence on that country's politics and that of course leads to a lot of corruption and within ukraine itself there were a lot of russian ukrainian oligarchs that kind of influenced not kind of it really did influence ukraine's government pushing it towards russian interests a lot so that's kind of what led to the led to president Yanukovych being overthrown by a lot of protesters who were kind like who were mainly like not necessarily anti-Russian but they were against these sorts of corruptions of Russian influence on Ukrainian government in April 2014 in between the this is when Russia really sees Crimea um, and during that time is why there was so much protest against the president at the time for Ukraine. Russia annexed the Ukrainian peninsula of Crimea, and this conflict has actually been present mostly since the beginning of 2014. Other conflicts that occurred during this time was the conflict in Donbass. And if you don't know what Donbass is, and I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, it's a Ukrainian region, but in this region, it is kind of the border of Ukraine and Russia. It is officially a part of Ukraine, but within the area of Donbass, it splits into two regions. You have Donetsk and Luhansk, and Luhansk and Donetsk are these two regions that are made up of separatist groups that are pro-Russia. But there's a theory, a conspiracy that has been going around that Russia has been funding these um quote-unquote Russian terrorist groups in the regions of Donbass, which is still a Ukrainian region. And this is where the majority of conflict um, occurs between Ukraine and Russia. There was a lot of speculation that Russia funded militarily a lot of the terrorist organizations or the separatist groups in um, Luhansk and Donetsk in order to break away from Ukraine and go into Russia, if that makes sense. It it is giving more land um, to Russia. And in order to do so, Russia secretly funds the groups fighting on behalf of Russia, if that makes sense. But when they were, when Russia at the time was asked about their um, influence on the situation on those Russian um, like terrorist groups, they often said that they had little to no influence on these groups and that any Russian fighter on behalf of Russia was merely voluntary fighters and they had no um, influence on behalf of the Russian military. So it's it's mainly speculation, but there's a very, very likely high chance that Russia's government had some sort of under the table, like down low influence on the conflict. They funded most of the group's in this region to be pro-Russia because it really only benefits um, Russia, if you make sense. On September 5th of 2014, they finally signed the Minsk agreements. I believe it was most of the uh, European countries with Ukraine and Russia. They sat down and they made agreements to cease war in Donbass region of Ukraine. It's odd that during the entire years in between 2014 and 2022, where the current conflict has caught up, basically, there were many peace agreements signed and ceasefires throughout the entire however many so years. But each time that there was a peace agreement, it always failed or one of the countries broke the peace agreement. Most of the time it was Russia, which, you know, 
in my opinion, I feel like there should have been a little bit more of international um, counseling involved, especially when peace agreements are broken like these so easily. And I don't think it's the first time Russia broke these peace agreements um, with the Minsk agreements. Minsk agreement, excuse me. It mainly ceased fire or ceased war in the Donbass region of Ukraine. But again, it was very... During the years after this agreement was signed, a lot of conflict was kind of ambiguous. It was kind of hard to track. After the agreement was signed, there was still a lot of fighting and wars. And each time a new agreement was signed, it would only last for not that much, um, not a lot of time before conflict would resume and then another agreement would be signed or not necessarily like an official agreement but an agreement to cease fire and cease fire would last for maybe a couple months before it would be returned and it was often very like ambiguous who would um start again but it can be inferred that Russia was mainly the one who started or returned fire because on April 2019, Vladimir Zelensky was elected president of Ukraine um, with hopes to restore Donbass to the country. So it was known by 2019, although it was a five-year difference. And during those five years, there was still conflict in those areas. In April 2019, he wanted to restore the peace and really unite the nations together. Not necessarily unite nations together, but really bring peace to the world. So I know that's kind of a cliche thing, but in my opinion, it's the actions of Vladimir Zelensky. It is pretty surprising, actually, to see a president, um, especially of a previous soviet union country i guess like as ukraine was previously in the soviet union seeing how volodymyr zelensky has taken hold of the situation it has been a complete turnaround for ukraine when he was elected as president of ukraine um he really fought to expose the Russian Ukrainian oligarchs and tried to expose any type of corruption within the Ukrainian government. So he really was like an underdog who fought on behalf of the Ukrainian people um, and tried to break away from Russian influence. He didn't agree with Russian interests and really wanted to take hold of Ukraine. And it was obvious that he did want to restore Ukraine as Ukraine again, meaning he wanted to take back Donbass officially. This, he wanted to cease fire, cease um, any sort of conflict and really regain uh, back that land that was originally Ukraine's. But it's just it was so ambiguous at the time that there was so much fighting between Russian terrorist groups and Ukrainian troops that um, it was hard to take hold of that area. Of course, with Zelensky wanting to take back uh, Donbass, Russia kind of wanted, uh, saw that Russia was slightly more pressured in um, upholding the stakes to maintain that area that they, on the down low, fought for, for so hard. So this is when Russia really, um, like the end of 2022, or sorry, excuse me, at the end of 2021, this is when you started to see Russian troops line up against the Ukrainian border. And usually when troops line up against the Ukrainian border, it it suggests that there is going to be an invasion soon. But Russia has not yet at that time. Um, I think it was like December 2021. Russia did not officially... Um, state that it was invading Ukraine. But it is kind of fishy how Russia had so many troops lined up against the Ukrainian border with reasons that didn't necessarily make sense. And let me go into that really quickly. Before I go into this, I do want to preface that Ukraine has asked to be a part of NATO for a very long time, but Russia doesn't has pleaded to NATO to not let Ukraine in. Um, and Many has like wondered why Ukraine is not part of NATO despite the open door policy and why um, Russia wants to not make Ukraine a part of NATO. It is definitely a big defiance against Russia, which is 
you know, again, with the history of Ukraine being a part of the Soviet Union and now wanting to do a complete 180 on them and go completely against Russia, it's it's really tricky because on one hand, Russia and NATO have so much um, peacekeeping agreements and not necessarily alliances, but there is a lot of agreements that they made between Russia and NATO in order to keep the peace, because you have to keep in mind that a lot of um, countries, I guess the U.S. would be one and Russia would be another, they have a huge powerhouse of nuclear arms. And although no one has really used these nuclear arms, they, um, well, since, you know, I would say like after World War II, these nuclear arms are really used as a deterrence for international communities to intervene on, um, let's say, Russia's conflicts. And one of these Russian conflicts is with Ukraine. And so Russia has been really using these uh, or their their uh, collection of nuclear weapons against international communities from intervening. And one of them is NATO. So it's basically like, if you intervene, I will use my nuclear weapons. Again, it's very unlikely that they will. But right now in this situation, it's, it's quite scary knowing that it's a possibility. But the stakes are extremely high. And in my opinion, I do not believe it is likely if it plays out in the way that, you know, I explained. Just to break down Donbass a little bit more, um, I think people know the names of DPR and LPR. Basically what DPR and LPR is the area of Donbass. And that is like the Ukrainian acknowledgement of the area although maybe russian most russian government or recognizes this area as two separate groups uh donetsk and luhansk so dpr and lpr is the donetsk and luhansk people's republic and on february 2022 i believe it was february 21st 2022 is when russia officially acknowledged and recognized the DPR and LPR as basically independent states and why that is a huge, like major, major um, breaking point is basically it is claiming that they support DPR and the DPR and LPR and are backing the cause. And with this, they are actually, I think it was, um, I kind of saw this on Wikipedia, they are the first UN members to recognize these states as independent because at the time Ukraine, um, it was still part of Ukraine as an area called, a region called Donbass. So going back to Russia's, basically the the buildup before the actual invasion done by Russia is that Russian troops were lined across the Ukrainian-Russian border. The reason why they said they lined the troops is for peacekeeping reasons, um, they saw it as to keep the peace between the in the region of Donbass because there was a lot of uh, conflict in there. Just like the war in Donbass in general, there was a lot of conflict between anti-government separatist groups and the Ukrainian government. A lot of armed groups attacked Ukrainian government buildings, and there was just so much um, struggle between Ukraine and these separatist groups trying to claim the areas of GPR and LPR um, with Russia recognizing and officially recognizing these areas as independent states. They're, you know, backing that Russia should take hold of these areas. And it's it goes on to, you know, Russia conquering these lands and basically breaking the Minsk Agreement signed in 2014 by lining these troops. I know they haven't exactly initiated um, any type of invasion yet during this time of like December 2021, but backing these troops, I think it, it can be foreshadowed that Russia is hinting at some sort of invasion or some sort of um, attack on Ukraine there has been a lot of discussion within my classes. Um, a lot of my political classes have discussed Ukraine's response to Russia lining their troops against the Ukrainian border. Is, is this justification for Ukraine to initiate aggression? Is this um, justification for Ukraine to uh, defend itself? What are the justifications for Ukraine to really build up its defense? Although at the time, Russia has not officially invaded. However, before we could even fully discuss that 
aspect of the Ukraine and Russia's conflict. On February 24th, 2022, Russia officially launches a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. So this this shows that Ukraine didn't even have enough time to respond um, to the the buildup of tension of Russia's uh, like military before Russia launched their um, attack on Ukraine. Why did Russia attack Ukraine? They officially they said it was for humanitarian reasons to keep the peace in Donbas or like the DPR and LPR regions. Um, but as I said before, a lot of conspiracies showed that Russia's government, high, there was a high chance that they were funding the DPR and LPR in order to gain control of those areas so Russia could build basically their empire and um, expand outwards towards like Ukraine. Their main goal is to take back Kyiv. And if you, I hope I'm pronouncing these right. I'm so sorry about these names. I am terrible with a lot of like Russian names, but Kyiv is the capital of Ukraine. It is basically as of right now, um, as of March 7th, which is Monday, which was yesterday, the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, stated that he was staying in Kyiv and he basically was not going to leave because that is what Russia is after, basically. And they are slowly infiltrating Ukraine and moving towards Kyiv. But as a lot of people are seeing, um, I don't know if people have been on Reddit or if they have been seeing things on the news. I've been trying to look at things on Reddit more because it's a lot of local citizens who post from Ukraine onto Reddit about the situation. And I think it's actually kind of enlightening. Um, and it brings sheds a little bit of light on the situation. Some of it can be quite funny. It's because Russia's military weren't fully equipped and fueled to go that far into Ukraine. So a lot of these Russian tanks are running out of fuel. And so a lot of troops have to retreat, leaving these Russian tanks there. And a lot of Ukrainian farmers, like these Russian tanks go for a lot of money they just see these Russian tanks sitting there because they're out of fuel and they get their, you know, tractor and pullers and they would pull the tanks back to their place so they can use it later on. And I think it's pretty, pretty funny if, you know, we, we laugh about it time to time, even though the situation is pretty serious. It's, it's, it's fun and nice to hear some of these instances where Ukrainian citizens are really um, finding light in the situation. And it's really funny seeing some of these videos outside of, you know, the war and everything and all the distressing videos just to see how some of the Ukrainian farmers are basically taking some of the Russian military, uh, the military like tanks, the military tanks and taking them for themselves and basically financing off of Russia's um, inability to make it towards Kyiv. But anyways, continuing on with the situation, as of right now, we are at the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, February 24th, 2022. I did want to mention, and I forgot to mention beforehand, that since late 2021, um, this is by the US News, estimated 190,000 Russian troops were lined on the Russian-Ukraine borders before the invasion, which is a crazy amount to have on the borders without a legitimate reason to invade because, again, they didn't acknowledge or recognize that a DPR and LPR before February 21st of 2022. So it was kind of, you know, you can infer that they they had some sort of influence on the DPR and LPR. They that they did want those areas, but they couldn't specifically say they wanted those areas, so they didn't initiate any sort of help or attack or even recognize those areas until this year. Many of you guys have wondered why third parties have not helped, and just so you can uh, you guys can get a better picture. This is a very narrow conflict, if I can, um, if that makes sense, because it's really directly between Russia and Ukraine. With Russia and Ukraine, I have said previously that Ukraine wants to be led into NATO, but Russia does not want Ukraine to be led into NATO. And if NATO lets Ukraine into NATO, then it will kind of go against Russia, and that could be a very messy situation. I'm not necessarily saying they shouldn't, but it could be dealt with strategically 
lately. And I feel like right now, a lot of the countries, especially uh, like uh, the US, of course, have to really think about this situation on a more feature a strategic scale. With the threat of World War III, I know with the initial invasion of Ukraine, a lot of people were scared that World War III would commence because they would be scared that NATO would go in and lend some sort of military help. But as of right now, it is not clear. And there's a, a, a very small chance that any countries within NATO will uh, intervene militarily, given that they do not want any sort of conflict against Russia, because Russia is a very big powerhouse. Uh, and going back to the nuclear weapons discussion, that a lot of these countries who have really huge powerhouses of nuclear weapons, they basically hold their fingers over the buttons, but they will not press the buttons. It's, it's more of like a deterrence to not have outside countries intervene with these conflicts. So that's why you haven't been seeing a lot of direct interventions with countries within NATO, such as like the United Kingdom, United States, um, Greece, Germany, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so on. The response of Ukraine so far has been mind-blowing for a lot of countries who saw Ukraine as basically the underdog. Let me just paint this out for you for many people who do not know this, but Ukraine's military budget compared to uh, Russia's military budget is so, so disproportionate. Ukraine's military budget, I'm not sure when this is as of, but it is 5.5 billion US dollars. But Russia's military budget in terms of US dollars is 88 billion. That is a huge, huge difference. But as you can see, since the start of, I guess, like Ukraine-Russian, not really Ukraine-Russian conflict, but Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine, Ukraine has been holding off quite well against Russia. The reason why, and the reason why I think Ukraine has been holding off against Russia so well is that Russia kind of underestimated Ukraine military-wise. They kind of thought that this would be an in-and-out situation. They would go and invade, get their land, um, you know, get deeper in LPR to have their uh, independence, um, and then get out. But they're struggling a little bit more against the situation, I think, because Ukraine has held off so well. They're also kind of afraid to use excessive or they as in terms of Russia. Russia is afraid of using excessive force because they initially invaded Ukraine on the claim of peacekeeping. So it's it's already fishy. A lot of outside countries, international countries, including the U.S., a lot of citizens within the U.S., within Ukraine, and even within Russia, have um, condemned Russian actions and they no longer see it or they never really saw it as peacekeeping. But Russia kind of wants to save face and say it's a, key, a peacekeeping operation. Um, so in order to uphold those claims, they can't use too much of excessive force that shows that they're really trying to claim these lands, um, the region of Donbass, but they've been kind of holding back. With President Zelensky himself, it is it's very, very peculiar to see this happening. Rarely do you ever see a president stay back to fight on behalf of his country with the troops of that country. What this means for Ukraine is a huge bolster for of Ukrainian patriotism. It really brought together the nation to show that their president was really fighting for them. And I I don't know if I can describe it given the, of my generation, I don't think we've ever had something um like this. I don't think I've ever experienced something like this with our own presidents where the presidents would stay behind and fight with their country. It is a huge, huge change in how I view politics myself as someone who lives in the U.S. with the presidents that we have so far. I don't, I've just been so surprised with the actions of Zelensky just being, just his bravery to stay behind to fight with the troops. And of course, this means that Ukraine's, I guess, political image and Ukrainians in general will have, if this turns out 
in the end, if this conflict ends well for Ukraine, that they will have an easier time building themselves up politically, socially, and hopefully economically by the end of this whole um, conflict. But of course, it is still very, very early on since the invasion. We are not sure how Russia is going to react to Ukrainians, you know, well response to the situation. Honestly, in my opinion, I'm very, very scared. Russia has a huge, has a lot of capabilities in terms of military um, and political power. So we're not exactly sure how it will play out. Apparently there has been, um, I think this is, uh, according to U.S. News, President Zelensky has been or has gone through three attempted assassinations since the invasion of Russia. And as of yesterday, Monday, March 7, 2022, President Zelensky has fearlessly made a public social media post saying or like stating his location, where he is. And it's in Kyiv, um, where Russia is, you know, trying to go after saying that I'm here and I'm not scared of anyone. He's so just it's incredible. I just I I'm just so astonished by the leadership of President Zelensky. Um, and it makes me want to hear more about him. Of course, this is a very, very high stakes situation and it's scary not knowing what things are, how things are going to play out, knowing that, and I know this is not very uh, formal to say, but Putin is uh, pretty, pretty crazy in terms of um, his, his political actions. It's not known how far Putin will go um, in order to establish power, basically, uh, knowing that he has such an ego, you know, his ego has basically been decreased dramatically after his initial attack on Ukraine. Um, I would say pretty much a failure in terms of winning on his terms, I guess. Basically, Russia thought they, um, or Putin thought that he would get a hold of Russia or Ukraine almost instantly, but Ukraine has fought back relatively well, and I think it has definitely hurt Russia or Putin's um, his image, and not only that, but his ego in basically maintaining power. Going on with Ukraine's response to Russia's invasion, given that I am a U.S. citizen, I I want to go on to talk about the U.S.'s response to Russia's invasion on Ukraine. I'm going to talk about my opinions, and then I'm going to talk a little bit of Ali's opinions, because she did write on a document separate from mine, and I wish we got to discuss this a little bit more between each other, because um, we kind of just separated and wrote our own opinions. Of Initially, for me, um, I saw that, I think there's a lot of surveys that showed, I can't remember who exactly released the survey, um, the survey, but it showed that Americans support U.S. intern, not necessary intervention, but the U.S. ban on Russian oil, kind of putting sanctions on Russia to decrease any sort of Russian actions and really condemn Russia for their actions. Um, hopefully, it deters Putin from doing anything further further by hurting them economically. But in my opinion, as I've seen through more personal stories that these sanctions are kind of hurting Russian citizens who are actually against Russia's actions rather than Putin himself. So it, it's, it's a huge dilemma whether the U.S. should or should not pose bans or sanctions on Russian oil supplies um, because it seems to be hurting a lot of Russian citizens rather than Putin himself, but it is known for a fact that the economy is definitely hurting from this war. Of course, you, the U.S., especially Biden, has stated that he did not want to have any direct military interventions at all with Ukraine in Russia's conflicts. And this means sending troops to Ukraine and Russia in order to kind of mitigate the situation and build up Ukraine. Biden instead has favored or supported more of sending um, military donations to Ukraine and also posing sanctions on Russia. And that has been seen recently rather than direct military interventions. So with Ukraine, there has been a lot of anti-war rhetoric 
um, and Ukrainian endorsements from, you know, there's there's a whole range of people who support Ukraine. You have celebrities to regular citizens to influencers to governmental leaders and so-and-so. Why I think that anti-war rhetoric and Ukrainian endorsement by like NATO or the UN doesn't necessarily help Ukraine is because if you look back at Ukraine's military budget being a very small percentage of Russia's military budget, it's scary to think. And if you have to really think of how much or how long Ukraine can hold off against Russia, given the capabilities military-wise of Russia, you know, you can have a lot of Ukrainian support in terms of, you know, protesting on outside of Ukraine and Russia, of course, but outside of Ukraine and Russia, you have a lot of people who are protesting against Russia or showing their support for Ukraine. And as much as I, you know, I love all the support for Ukraine and the support for Zelensky and his Zelensky's um, upholstering of Ukrainian patriotism, it's scary to to think that it's a very um, temporary solution because in the end, it really is depending or dependent on military capabilities. Russia is a huge, uh, again, I said it again and again, Russia is a huge powerhouse of military weapons and nuclear weapons. Ukraine's budget is very small compared to Russia. But that does not mean that Ukraine has the cap- doesn't have the capabilities to fight against Russia. It does, but it does need help from outside countries. One thing that I do want to say on my opinion is that I do believe that the U.S. should keep funding and sending military supplies to Ukraine. There has been a lot of information on behalf of Ukraine saying that their military weapons and a lot of tools used by the military in Ukraine are outdated. And it has also shown a lot of sources, videos are showing that Ukraine doesn't have the military budget for its troops or doesn't have enough troops. So a lot of citizens, Ukrainian citizens are volunteering on behalf of Ukraine to fight against Russia. And you can see these um, regular citizens, Ukrainian citizens, taking part in a lot of training courses, not necessarily courses, but they're gathering in communities and making Molotov cocktails, which are the the bottles that you throw um, that causes like, you know, flames and fire and everything. There's videos of regular Ukrainian citizens making Molotov cocktails, being armed with military weapons being taught how to use them and of course that leads to the discussion on whether or not they are seen as civilians or combatants but that is a separate um discussion for another time anyways with this it's it's clear that ukraine doesn't have huge military capabilities against Russia. And it really comes down to that, despite all the support and patriotism and endorsements and anti-war rhetorics that outside nations have on Ukraine, it really comes down to the capabilities of each side. That's why I think that, you know, when Zelensky says, I don't need like support. I need help. I need military like funding. I need help from outside nations to help build our military in order to really defend against Russia. The only, I think the only way that NATO can intervene with the situation of Ukraine and Russia, and I think they stated this, was that if Russia had a direct attacks on neighbor countries that are within NATO, um, which makes sense that it no longer is between Ukraine and Russia, it's between Ukraine, Russia, and whatever NATO countries Russia attacks. And that's where it comes into as a um, conflict outside of Ukraine and Russia. And that's why I understand why NATO wants to intervene only in that situation. One of the things I did want to mention is that whenever I heard about this conflict, I kind of knew that the U.S. wasn't going to intervene militarily because of, um, you know, with a democratic peace theory, it's this thought that democracies are very hesitant 
or they show little to no interest, not necessarily interest, but they do not engage in any type of armed conflict or interventions with other like states who are democratic. And yes, Russia, although it might not seem like it, but Russia is a democratic republic. So they are a democracy. So the U.S. is very, very hesitant to engage in any armed conflict with Russia. Uh, the reason being is, you know, with the Western world, they want to spread democracy. In order to spread democracy, they don't want to fight against the democracy. So if that makes sense, um, it I kind of knew that Biden wasn't going to uh, necessarily do anything against, not necessarily just Biden, but just in general, like with dem- democratic peace theories, any dem- democratic states um, are very hesitant to go against other democratic states, if that makes sense. Now moving into more of my opinion, and then I'll go into Ali's opinion, why I believe third parties should not directly intervene. And I think my opinion is a lot different from Ali's opinion. So hopefully I uh say her thoughts about it um, as clearly as she wanted me to. But the reason why I don't want the U.S. to intervene. Now, I didn't say NATO countries in general or the U.N. I said the U.S. by itself is because of the intervention in the Middle East. Um, Why I think the U.S. shouldn't intervene with Ukraine is because with the Middle East, of course, U.S. is not going to intervene in any sort of conflict internationally for the um without the interest of the u.s itself for instance so like u.s intervening in the middle east for interests of the oil like productions in those areas it was to uh how do you say it was to benefit the u.s government at the time so with the u.s interventions in in the middle east it was a huge failure if many like might not know is that um a lot of people say the u.s funded the taliban which is not completely true the u.s funded the mujahideen fighters which were fighting against the soviet unions which is what the u.s wanted at the time so when i say the u.s will only go into um international conflicts to intervene is this when it is the interest of the U.S. and it favors the U.S.'s interests, such as fighting against the Soviet Union. So the U.S. funded a lot of Mujahideen fighters. A lot of those fighters, or I would say some of them, joined the Taliban. So that's where the idea that the U.S. funded the Taliban, which is not necessarily true and wasn't their intentions. Although it was not the U.S.'s intentions to, I'm going to say for the sake of like summarizing, indirectly fund the Taliban, it it was a failure of the U.S. So because they did not see it, um, they did not plan futuristically. Uh, they kind of wanted to have an in and out operation, which ended up not being the case because, again, they in, entered into this Iran-Iraq conflict in 2003 and they did not leave until 2011. And it was completely against their idea of what they wanted to do. So right when the U.S., withdrew from like the Middle East, ISIS forces took advantage and basically overtook the area. And that's where the the rise of ISIS in the Middle East and uh, everything basically happened. And that was a huge failure of the US because of the reasons that they didn't necessarily come with this, come up with the strategy. So I don't believe the US should intervene with Ukraine and Russia because I don't think you, with the history of the US, I don't think they clearly think out strategically what the aftermath is. They mostly focus on the conflicts um, that are currently at hand. So uh, they would mostly fight against Russia on behalf of U.S. interests. This can lead to the extension of the war itself and lead to more conflict later on rather than an in-and-out operation like the one that U.S. wanted to do with the Middle East. Instead, I think the U.S. should focus more on funding Ukraine's military um, and really push for funding Ukraine's military. I think there was a uh, a recent 
donation i think it's three the 350 million dollars um from us to ukraine in order to help build up their military the problem with this though is that again ukraine's military is very outdated so when they receive these sorts of military tools they aren't necessarily trained or they don't know how to use them and that could lead to you know it's basically not useful if they aren't trained to use these military like weapons so one thing i do believe is if they end up intervening in some sort of way by sending u.s troops they have to think strategically and in the future like they have to set sort of set some sort of future plan um in order to help build ukraine's economy and their political like i guess like Identity. I don't know if it's necessarily identity because they obviously have a de- identity, but building their political structure back up. Because again, after um, if U.S. pulls out right after Ukraine, you know, wins in this conflict against Russia, Ukraine's still very vulnerable. There is a lot of there could still be a lot of Russian interest groups within Ukraine that can take over after the U.S. leaves. Um, one thing that they learned from, or one thing that a lot of uh, political scientists kind of say on the U.S., Iran, and Iraq situation was that they have to sustain some sort of key military support. And they can't just pull out as a quick military operation. They have to build up the military of Ukraine in order to sustain Ukraine as a country and make sure that the economy is built up to the point where U.S. intervention is no longer needed. But it's hard to do that because historically... The U.S. can overstep their lines and they can take more than what they came in to help for and it could lead to further conflicts. Again, the idea is good. I'm not saying that U.S. intervention is bad, but I'm saying historically what we can see it has not worked. Um, U.S. intervention has almost always led to some sort of failure of the country when they pull out. And it, like, it kind of infers that the U.S. should change its strategies when it comes to U.S. intervention. So I don't think that U.S. Event, intervention for the Ukrainian-Russia's uh, conflict should be done without some sort of change to their strategies. And I don't think that change is coming up soon enough. As of right now, I don't think it's it's going to help Ukraine. Rather, it's probably going to cause more conflict. So the only way that outside of the U.S., again, I said that NATO will not directly intervene militarily with uh, Ukraine unless Russia directly attacks its neighboring NATO countries. So that is understandable on my part. I do believe that like the Ukraine-Russian conflict is a little bit more narrow, given that it does not really involve a lot of outside countries. Rather, it's a conflict of lands and a conflict of military and governmental power, especially during the re- in the regions of Donbass. Going on to Ali's opinions about the situation, she mainly focused on uh, Putin's authoritarian response or actions in this conflict it is seen from putin's actions that a lot of russian citizens are against or condemn putin um but with putin being a very authoritarian leader a lot of free speech has been taken away from Russian citizens. She did allude to how the Ukrainian-Russian conflict reminded her of the suppression of minorities, especially like Black citizens, when uh, faced when speaking out for their humanity. Putin suppresses the media and censors their own reporters, so it can be seen that free speech does not necessarily exist during this time of war because a lot of propaganda um, occurs during this time, especially in Russia, given that they you know, the whole Soviet Union, there was a whole bunch of propaganda that circled around in that time. Um, so it, it can be inferred that it would be done the same again. Um, despite that Russia is a democracy, he takes a very authoritarian kind of, I don't want to say dictatorship because that's a little bit too far off, but like he's a very authoritarian in terms of leadership. Ali also mentioned with the emergence of critical race theory um, and its discussion among like older folks to banning and burning certain books. She can't necessarily understand. She can't understand how they don't see how they're like 
they don't see their own actions as authoritarian because it's marginalizing people uh, who deserve basically empathy. Of course, with like the whole suppressing of like a marginalized group of people, there can be some similarities between uh basically Russia and the U.S. So I think it's a very interesting like way to put it. Basically, like inciting, there should be more more um, discussion and more support of Ukraine against Russia because Russia is a completely like outrageous. Russia is completely out of line, um, and as in terms of leadership, it is completely against like democracies as the West pushes for if that makes sense she also agrees that the um so the peace she also agrees that the peacekeeping agreements that were signed i like the way she states it it's kind of like a space savior of russia because in Again, it just because they signed the agreements, Russia still did not cease conflict within those areas. Russia kind of uh, continued conflict in those areas because even though it was said in 2014, conflict still occurred all the way throughout until like 2022 when the invasion occurred. It was mostly to sustain their image after like the Soviet Union and make sure they seem in accordance to NATO's agreement despite not actually because it again it, it was very ambiguous during the time and in those areas who started conflict after these agreements but it, it can be inferred that it was Russia's um, and although Russia did not officially acknowledge and recognize the LPR and DPR there was, again, a lot of conspiracies saying that they funded them and there was um, a lot of things under the table. So that's why it wasn't officially stated that Russia broke these peace agreements because they didn't exactly acknowledge the DPR and LPR at the time, saying that it had very, it was on like voluntary Russian fighters who were fighting on behalf of Russia, but not actually like direct influence from Russian government. Ali does take a stronger point or stronger stance that the US should show some sort of intervention and help. Um, and I'm going to try uh, to quote this as best as I can from Ali. But Ali quotes, The U.S. reaction to this conflict is there a white sympathy for Ukraine's largely white European population. And that is my best uh, impersonation of Ali. And I'm reading this from what she wrote. I do see that Ali takes a heavier stance that U.S. should have some sort of involvement on Ukraine because it is an unjust situation against Ukrainian and Russian citizens. And this, she takes a more humanitarian side from what I'm reading from her responses. She, she is basically fighting on behalf of Ukraine and Russian citizens who are having their rights basically taken away and their humanity is basically stripped away from them. And it's the responsibilities of outside nations, especially powerful nations such as the U.S. or any other countries within NATO to fight on behalf of humanitarian reasons. So that is her side. I know it's a lot different from mine, but I do see a lot of um, connective like pieces within our thought processes. I do think something's really interesting that Ali actually looked into this more than I have, but she takes a huge stance on Ukrainian um, like bordering countries and how they are refusing uh, Ukrainian citizens from being let in as refuge and of these citizens are mostly citizens of color. So this is a whole different conflict outside of Ukraine and Russia is that neighboring countries or bordering countries to Ukraine are having trouble or not necessarily the countries themselves, but Ukrainian citizens, especially Ukrainian citizens of color, are having trouble finding refuge outside of Ukraine. Um, as I said before, that Russia is really seeking to get Kyiv. So a lot of Kyiv citizens, or people living in Kyiv, are seeking refuge outside, and this leads to a lot of citizens, uh, Ukrainian citizens, fleeing outside of Ukraine into neighboring countries. Ali also states a. Uh, or references uh, the refugees of Ye Yemeni uh, refugees, how they were on the brink of starvation, and how Syrian refugees of the civil war um, and Afghan refugees were poorly treated. A lot of times they were turned back and saying they were told to run towards like countries or nations with Muslim majorities. 
and most of the bordering countries would not accept Muslim refugees. This shows a lot of, I guess, blatantly say it's it's racism, uh, not taking in Ukrainian people of color and and turning away refugees without really uh, without any reason. Um, I know a lot of countries are scared to take in refugees to save their own citizens, but this is a huge crisis that's happening. And I think that racism does not have a place in this at all. Basically what she kind of takes away from this, it's a statement saying, go back to your country. And if your own people don't take you, why should we? Which again, the reason of being a refugee is because you're fleeing from some sort of conflict within your home country. And this conflict is, of course, the Ukrainian and Russian war. Uh, so it is, it's really sad to see that a lot of Ukrainian refugees are struggling to find refuge outside of Ukraine. I actually have not researched this a lot. Um, so I'm kind of letting Ali take reins on this situation. So apologies if I did not say it exactly how you wrote it. I really do like how she pushes for more acceptance of refugees, especially during this time. Time. As an outside nation of Ukraine and Russia, this is not a direct intervention of Ukraine and Russia. So I do think that they should take in refugees as much as possible to help out with the situation. This is another way that countries outside of Ukraine and Russia can show their support and really help Ukrainian citizens. Going on to how outside countries can help Ukraine. Although a lot of people who are listening and a lot of people who are really looking into the situation are citizens and regular daily day citizens working, um, you know, nine to five jobs or just regular jobs and aren't governmental leaders or have any sort of influence on their government as of right now, not saying that they don't have any influence, but as of right now, they don't have much influence. What we can do as regular citizens of the U.S. or just, you know, non-governmental leaders is really show our support for Ukraine. There's a lot of a donation or foundations that help build up Ukrainian citizens who are struggling during this time. I think that there's one that specifically helps people psychologically uh, affected by wars um, in these regions. So I think that is another thing that's not quite discussed or mentioned um, when referencing the Ukraine and Russia conflict. I will try to, I think, on the Instagram page of the Talkative Laotian podcast and of course the Talkative Laotian um, webpage, I will post as many uh, sites and links to help Ukrainian citizens as possible. This means donation sites, uh, certain foundations, uh, just keeping up to date with the situation since it's such a weird time given that we are in this conflict right now. A lot of times we are reading the post, uh, the aftermath of this, the conflict, the situation. Sometimes we were so used to reading in history books, but now we aren't reading in history books we're reading it on news stations af as they happen we're hearing it as the news reporters stated there's journalists within these conflicts literally in these war zones reporting as they see it and it's a very weird time for everyone especially since we're still in a pandemic i just want to say i know this this podcast has been very distressing. I know this conflict and this situation is a very tough and difficult situation and topic to listen through, but I appreciate everyone who has sat through and listened um, and really uh, learned a little bit more in the situation. Of course, me and Allie, we both have a lot to learn with this situation and we're learning new things. As days go on. Um, like I said before, I learned as of just seven hours ago that President Zelensky posted a social media post stating where his location was, and that's in Kriev. And it's so, um, it's just very, it's very odd uh, being so close to to this conflict and, and hearing about it as I'm speaking instead of learning about it in textbooks. So I, I just want everyone to know that, you know, there are support systems, whether you are still in the U.S. and you're hearing about this or you are literally on the forefront of these war zones and this conflict, just know that there's resources out there and I will try to connect um, everyone to these resources as best to my abilities. And of course, for what you can do in terms of 
your own country's like governmental leaders is really push and push for certain initiatives to have some sort of not necessarily military interventions but some sort of aid sent to Ukraine to show their support rather than verbal support um, as seen with NATO is just kind of we're here for Ukraine um, but what Ukraine really needs is military support as in military funding and some sort of training and that is relatively difficult given that transportation of military weapons into Ukraine without Russian intervention is kind of it's it's a hard um, dilemma but I do think that as citizens we can push for our governmental leaders especially Biden to have some sort of impact on on I guess Russia to cease fire against Ukraine and kind of pull out and one of them is like this uh, a lot of Americans support the U.S. ban on Russian oil despite the rising gas prices and I, I think that's pretty pretty like you know reflective of how Americans view the situation of their full support of Ukraine despite how it affects Americans um I do want to just keep saying like keep supporting Ukraine as best as possible look keep up to date with the situation and just um maintain that sort of uh encouragement for ukraine and also just stay strong during this just know that everyone is here for each other and just show your support despite any opinions that you have of the situation just know that um people are here for you and there are resources here for you so yeah thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast um i hope you stay tuned for the next podcast again we are on a bi-weekly schedule and i'll keep updated on the situation as much as possible and yeah thank you guys so much this is myla at the ting with the talk of the laotian podcast i'll see you in two weeks